Uh, Maya means without illusion, right? And for me, it's not only what I hope to embody and learn more of, you know, how to live in this way where I'm free of my own illusion and delusion, but how can I be a conduit for a greater truth and divine possibility for people that I'm working with so that they're free of their own delusions that are causing them suffering with the ultimate goal of how can I help this world be a more compassionate, loving place? This is Leela Cast ATX, a podcast about the amazing renaissance happening right here in Austin, Texas. A revolution integrating playfulness into healing and healing into play. A podcast where we talk to healers, leaders, and conductors behind the scenes. In this episode, we interviewed Amaya Shiva. She is an astrology-informed life coach and an Ayurvedic practitioner. Specifically, Amaya works with Jyotish, which is Vedic astrology. I'll say I had a couple of readings with her over the past year, and they were quite eye-opening. Amaya is also one of the wisest people that I know. She lives with so much integrity. I find that she's able to transmit not only her own truth, her own dharma, but a truth that speaks to a lot of us. Amaya talks about finding her guru and her practice. She talks about some of the keys to amazing, clear communication and sexual liberation. And of course, the connection between healing and play. Vakratunda Mahakaya Surya Koti Samaprabha Nirvignam Kuru Me Deva Sarvakar Yeshu Sarvada. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Amaya Shiva. Oh my goddess, thank you for having me. So mantra is supremely important to my life. These Vedic practices, this Vedic wisdom informs so much of what I do and how I live. And I start every morning with mantra sadhana. So chanting various mantras to connect with my palana devata, you know, the, the devi who takes care of me, my parampara, my guru shishya lineage, my teachers. And to connect to that space beyond the mental chatter. And I don't always get there. You know, sometimes I'm chanting the mantra and it's like monkey mind is like doing acrobatics on top of it. But still, like right now I'm in a deep period where I'm doing an hour and a half daily of these different practices. And it's just so important for my life. And I love it. You mentioned the Devi who takes care of you. Will you say a little bit more about your relationship with that divine being? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in Jyotish, in Vedic astrology, we look at certain things in your chart to kind of understand who's the being that's going to give you some stuff, right? That's going to nourish you and take care of you. And it's not always who people are drawn to initially, which is interesting. I'm connected to, to Durga, and I also have a lot of love for Shiva, clearly my name, mm -hmm. right? Amaya Shiva. So I was actually guided by my guru on who to worship. I thought I was going to be doing Kriya Yoga, which, you know, autobiography of a yogi. And then I met my guru and he was like, no, 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 your mantra practice, you know. And when I'm saying mantra, mantra for, for anybody who's hearing my Sanskrit intonation. Yeah. So 
however you connect to it, form speaks to you is important. But what's really important is is that that daily gratitude and just offering of like, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Even on the days where you're like, fuck, I feel like shit. You know, like, just thank you so much. And so, yeah, tell us about your journey. How did you meet this guru? How did you, did you learn Sanskrit? Tell us more about that. Oh my gosh. So I... I'll start with the easy part. I studied some Sanskrit as part of my Ayurvedic practitioner training and education. We were chanting from Charak Samhita, some of these very ancient classical texts that are part of formal Ayurveda education in India. And I just loved it. Like, oh my gosh, it's so fun. Sanskrit verses often rhyme right? So just fell in love with it immediately. And it was such a gift because then when I did meet my guru, he's a Sanskrit scholar. He's been given the like highest accolade for Sanskrit in India by the government. And it made the mantra part much easier for me. And now how I met him is a pretty cool story. Right. Yeah. So I had already been on that path. I took initiation into my first spiritual lineage when I was 27, but I, I was not totally full from it. I wanted this more traditional relationship and it was on my heart. And I went to India to train classical Indian dance. And my teacher there is a devotee of Swami of my Swami. He wasn't my Swami then, but I overheard her talking about this book, Autobiography of a Yogi, one day with a friend. And I was like, oh, I have to get that. And I got it and I read it and I was like, what is this bhakti? What is this devotion that Yogananda has for his guru, Sri Yukteswar? Like, I want to feel that just overwhelmed with love and like surrender, you know, to a being. And I really desired that. And So when I was moving from Seattle to New Mexico to study Ayurveda, because I had heard about Swami, I stopped and met him in Santa Barbara. He was having a fellowship and they had this little office that was upstairs in this two-story cute Santa Barbara building, you know, and it was really small and we're all jammed in there. And I got to sit like right in front of him and he's penetrating me with his eyes. I mean, he can see your past lives. Truly. So I'm sitting there in front of him and I'm just getting these downloads and in total awe of him. And I leave, I move to New Mexico and I'm like, well, how am I going to study with him? You know, I'm here in New Mexico at the time. All my money was going towards school and I was like, how is this going to work? But then I received a divine message from him and it was confirmed that he's my teacher, Swami Vidyadishananda Giri. After studying, starting to study with my guru, Swami Vidyadishananda Giri, I discovered that his guru studied directly with both Yogananda and Sri Yukteswar. And I had prayed like every day at my altar with like tears streaming down my face, like just like, please send me a teacher, please send me a teacher. And they did directly from their lineage. So if you truly seek it, it will find you. 
when I look at my life, I've had so many iterations from when I was a little girl, always the top of my class and, and gifted, the youngest kid, graduated high school a year early. Then I didn't go to school for a while because I was like playing drums in a punk rock band and then a metal band and getting hammered and partying with rock stars and like doing this whole thing in Seattle, right? <laughs> Love it. Love it. I can see it. Yeah. And like what? Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yep. <laughs> this whole journey of having extreme anxiety and depression, because I had that for a long time, especially right when I entered this period called Rahu, which is the headless demon. And it was just total mental instability. Looking back at this journey from that and then into meeting my ex-husband and getting deeper and deeper into meditation, meeting people like Robert Svoboda who is very well known in the world of Tantra and Ayurveda. And I don't mean Neo-Tantra, I mean like more classical, right? It's It's been a wild ride. And I'm so just like, it's just fascinating. Now the work I do is coaching and readings, and but it's really astrology-informed life coaching. And I'm trauma-informed, deeply, deeply interested in improving the human condition and helping people get out of suffering, be it through finding what your unique conditions for success and happiness are and what stories are blocking them. And the level of transformation that I've experienced through reflections from other people has been the most powerful transformation of my life. Coaching work truly changes your life. Getting honest feedback about your stories, how you're showing up versus how you think you're showing up changes your life. Do you mean the coaching that you've received from other coaches and that therefore you're offering back into the world? Both mm -hmm. the coaching that I've received and that mm -hmm. I give. I see. It has been transformative for my own journey and process for understanding how I impact people and the world. And I have provided that powerful reflection and transformation many, many times now mm. for my clients. And I share this because for many, many years of my life, I was seeking release from stories I didn't even know I had. And I was seeking it through sadhana, through meditation, through spiritual practices. But I was bypassing my own bullshit and unaware of how my mindset, my worldview, my limiting beliefs from everything I had internalized from childhood, how that was impacting my life. And the meditation and this way of being helped create the fertile soil that I could receive this. There was a point in time where I couldn't really receive feedback without feeling defensive or attacked. Someone telling you, you know, hey, look, you're doing this thing can be a really uncomfortable experience. Sure. But having that capacity and the kind of emotional maturity that comes with it, like I'm never going to be perfect and not make a mistake, but I do have the capacity to handle those mistakes and, and make up for it and deal with the oopsies and the ouchies. I'm an intense and powerful person and I have a really strong energy. 
Right. And it can feel like a lot of certain kind of energy is turned on, like when my fury is big. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Durga. Durga. Durga is in you. Durga is in me. But she's not the only part, mm. you know. I just think about being in a coaching trio with other people, learning how to coach and coming in really strong and like delivering truth, but not in a way that could be received. Mm-hmm. You know, and the finesse that it takes, it's not enough to just know something about someone that doesn't make you skillful. It's not enough to be like, yeah, I see where you're fucked up or whatever. That's not skillful, right? That's not skillful. There's an ability to recognize a pattern. But what's skillful is being able to lead people to their own conclusion. So the difference between coming in and saying, oh, you're this way and actually asking someone, well, why do you think you have this behavior, right? Where I'm not answering anybody's questions. I just give people the framework to answer their own. And the framework is on the basis of astrology. Is that correct? Really question-based and observation-based. Yeah. Astrology is a piece of what I do to understand people, but the biggest thing is how do people manifest in front of you? What are they clear and strong with communicating where do they look away where does their body language shift and change right because all of that tells you something right yeah I'm getting so much support from other people and I give it and and get that in your life it's really the takeaway I would like to leave people with is make sure you're getting feedback from people regularly who are honest and love you yeah that are not your partners or otherwise like romantically <laughs> yeah. involved yeah <laughs> Tell us about the type of clients that you, do they come to you for astrology? They come to you for coaching or both? And how do you relate to them? What happens when they enter your Zoom room? It's mostly coaching. That is what I am a coach. That's, I like to say astrology informed because I use these tools of Vedic astrology, but you know, my superpower is intuition and being able to feel where the blocks are in people because ultimately, you know, you're a person, you're not a chart. And I won't always give certain information if it's not going to be useful. Mm -hmm. to the person, right? Like somebody can come to me with a question about what's going to happen in my love life, for example, and am I going to be with this person or not? And I would never tell somebody that. I'm going to say to you, well, what is it that you need to work on in the context of this container? What skill set is asking to be developed for you and through you instead of traditional astrologer without this awareness right? Of what happens if I tell someone, yeah, there's another marriage there for you. And then they're like, oh, well, I'm not going to fucking try to fix my bullshit in this one. I don't need to worry about it anymore. And then they don't get the learning. They don't get the karmic upgrade that's available. So being super discerning, like what actually supports people? And for me, my vision of what supports people is what calls forth the highest possibility, the most elevated way of communicating, the next iteration, the next what's making you into a butterfly. And that's the real juice and gold because, you know, these kind of fixed situations in life, depending on where you have fixed karma or unfixed, right? Things are going to happen. But if you start to attach your joy to the external circumstance and situation, this is where it can get dangerous. 
I think, where it can become a block to your development. If you're just coming to someone because you want an answer that's really connected to, do I need to try here or can I just fucking, can I skip this part? <laughs> and your answer is always no. You cannot skip this part yeah, <laughs> is what I'm, I'm getting from you. I'm guilty yeah. of that too. I remember the session we had where I'm like, so what's going to happen with my relationship? And I remember the answer was I'm not going to tell you, but what I got from it was just so much more. I still have some of the words that you use that like, they're like pointing out instructions for me. One being, hey, if you want to manifest something, you have to embody it first. And yeah. that is something I remember every day now. And yes. I tell myself that every day. Yes. So your words are very powerful. Mm. Will you tell us a little bit about your name? My name was intentionally chosen with the support of my astrologer. So in the West, names are picked kind of rando. It's like whatever is cool at the time, whoever was famous. Now things are weird. People got weird names now. It's just awesome. I love it. But in Vedic culture, you look at the syllable and the house and planet it's attached to so that you can activate certain energies in your chart because what people call you matter. And anybody who grew up in an abusive environment where they were getting called shitty names versus somebody who has an absolutely loving home environment where they're getting called sweetie, honey, baby, like this, it matters. What you're called matters. And there's an energetic activation that happens. Mm -hmm. So uh, Maya means without illusion, right? And for me, it's not only what I hope to embody and learn more of, you know, how to live in this way where I'm free of my own illusion and delusion, but how can I be a conduit for a greater truth and divine possibility for people that I'm working with so that they're free of their own delusions that are causing them suffering with the ultimate goal of how can I help this world be a more compassionate, loving place? Will you tell us about the role of play in your life and practice? And maybe that's in coaching and maybe that's in some other arena. Our podcast is Leela Cast, So we love that idea of divine play yes. um, and just curious yeah. where you might connect with that. Oh my God, I love to play. I love to play in all the ways. I just like to be like a little kid and super goofy and, you know, tumble and do somersaults on the couch and jump around. And play for me is letting go of all posturing and just being fully exuberant or sad or whatever it is. Being fully that. Oh my gosh. I was recently driving in Northern California and stopped super unexpectedly. We just pulled up to Santa Cruz uh -huh. to the pier and I was with a guy who I was dating at the time and we just jumped out and like we went and did the laser escape room thingy and you know, the throw the ping pong ball into the cup. And I'm always open to those kinds of adventures. I love going to see art. I love experiencing nature and just crawling around in the grass and seeing the tiny little bugs and going to Barton Springs and going dancing. Play is really important. It is really important. Your face just 
yeah. turned into a child. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> you just like loosened up 10 yeah, days. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's a very different energy, you know, like tradition and me holding spaces. It's a certain energy I mm-hmm. hold for it. But one thing I love about myself is that I have incredible range. I can be this serious, devout person and then immediately shift into the like, ah, you know, like, <laughs> like this silliness. And that's been a superpower of mine since I was young. Like my friends were always like, you know, you know Maya's just like, we go have adventures, hmm. play Gosh, even just dancing, taking a break to dance and and be free in in my body, super important. Yeah. Yeah. Embodiment is something that we also have thought a lot about and talked a lot about and are working with ourselves, both of us. I'm curious what embodiment practices you had. You mentioned dance Mm -hmm. and obviously chanting is embodied to some extent, right? You're using your voice. Mantra is very mental. So what's your physical practice? I'm studying Zook right now. Have I seen you at the Zook class? Mm-hmm. Should come. It's okay. really fun. What it's, is it? Zook is it. this Brazilian dance style. I'm training Piquiti Tirsha, which is Filipino mm-hmm. martial art, like mm-hmm. stick fighting and weapons training. So I love doing that. Embodiment is is interesting because I think it can mean different things to different people. And I I'm also curious what meaning you're giving to mm-hmm. it when you're asking me about yeah. that. For me personally, my experience of embodiment versus a sense of not being embodied is my sense of interception, being able to actually sense within my body and the inside of my body and feel a sense of dwelling inside of my body. And to be honest, I don't always feel that. Mm -hmm. More and more I do, and I do have that access, Mm -hmm. but that's something that I've had to shed layers that have kept me out of my body because I haven't always felt safe in my body. And so it also has to do with that healing process of being able to just be grounded on the earth. I have a sense of my awareness being suffused throughout my body and that itself feels like a healing practice for me. It is a healing practice, Mm -hmm. right? Especially if you experience trauma as a kid. I know I did. Mm -hmm. And not like I was beaten or anything like that, but more neglect trauma Mm -hmm. um, and have certainly felt unsafe in my body a lot and liked to leave. Mm -hmm. And that's the big thing that started to come into shape for me in these coaching practices. All these other pieces really matter. The mantra practice matters. The spiritual practices matter a lot. And I used to brace, you know, I was bracing against the world and learning to rewrite some of the nervous system stories has been huge. And I'm not perfect at it yet either. Is this something that you are able to obtain through mantra practice? It's practices with other people. I experience a lot of soothing from physical touch and even laying on someone or like with people in a cuddle puddle is a really healing experience for me. Yeah. Wow. That relational piece. It is. It's that relational piece. You know, that's part of what I love so much about Zook. Like it is close. So if you're sensitive to smell, <laughs> check your partner out. <laughs> but like when I've when I've danced with a skillful lead who created a space where I could fully surrender, this is where I've come fully into my body. And it's interesting. So uh, as a coach who has gotten coached, you know, the people that make me feel the safest and allow me to drop in are the ones who can hold a strong energy and container. 
so that I don't have to lead anymore. So being in those situations of feeling safe enough to relax and be like, okay, somebody else has got this has been supremely important for my own journey of feeling safe in this vessel. There is a component of leadership that is absolutely necessary to make other people feel safe. If you feel from me, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Are you going to feel confident? No. Absolutely not. You're going to be like, what? No. (laughs) You know? So in that way, that also becomes an embodiment practice. Having confidence Mm. in oneself, in myself, and my ability to hold space and be a container. So one of the things I've also heard you talk about is liberated sexuality or maybe integrated sexuality Mm -hmm. and the direction we might be going in with that in our culture right now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. There's so much gold there. There's so much (laughs) juice there. Okay. The first thing is sexuality is so important, right? We are sexual beings. We all come from sex. And yet there's this like stigma, this religious conditioning, this body shaming, all these things. Like your love life is supposed to look like that movie you saw when you were 13 and your hormones were kicking in and that's how you have sex, right? (laughs) All these stories and narratives that we're carrying around that are just like garbage, (laughs) that we get to release and let go of. I'm lucky, like my mom being German and not just German, but like my mother is a rebel in her own right. Like she's head of the Buddhist center in Kansas City. She's a reggae DJ. She's in an interracial marriage and she speaks her mind. And anyways, I remember my first sex book that I got when I was like 13 or something. It was called Our Bodies, Ourselves. Oh yeah, I know that Do you know that book? (laughs) What a great book. And I, mm-hmm. I loved it. I devoured it. And I was like, masturbation? What? Okay, let's try this. You know, I'm a highly sexual woman. I've always been very sexual. And so in that way, I, I, I feel some blessings. And I've, I've also felt the shame and repression, mm-hmm. right? I've also felt the conditioning and like the body shaming. And like, I'm absolutely like, I'm a stunning woman. Like I fit the model body type and still have felt enormous self-criticism and like, no thank you Mm -hmm. to all of that. What I came to realize is, first of all, other people's pleasure is not your responsibility. You're responsible for your own. And I say this because I used to go into sexual encounters wanting to please the other person as a way of having them like me instead of this mindset of mutual connection and like just like enjoyment of Mm. myself and my body and my pleasure centers. And I realized I had pattern of doing things I didn't want to, going further in experiences than I wanted to saying yes to things I wasn't really into, doing things I wasn't really into. It was wrong. And I switched the focus to what I wanted. And I assume that other people can say what they want. And by leading through my own example of saying, I want you to touch me like this, Mm -hmm. but don't touch me there or like that. I give permission. And I provide a platform like, oh, that's how you can do it. Well, cool. I'm going to try that too. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's one. Two, learning your erotic blueprint or understanding what actually gets you off 
my goddess. What a game changer. What a game changer. Like understanding myself as a highly energetic person. Like it really disrupts me if I'm engaged with someone, then I can feel their energy go somewhere else. It's like starting over for me. Yeah. I'll lose my level of turn on. How did you discern that about yourself? I went to a lecture. Yeah. I went to workshops. <laughs> Part of my journey on this path has been going to like all these Tantra festivals, doing other mm. trainings that are available and, and hearing people who have already gone there and expressed themselves talk about these keys for them and being like, damn, that's a key for me too. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I like really for a long time was stuck in this model that I learned from movies or from like junior high or high school or something. Yeah. And I didn't really know how to ask for what I wanted. And, and it was kind of like, okay, if you want to be like erotic, you know, there's this porn girl fantasy that you're taught to model. If you want to be outside of the mold of whatever else we're being taught. So either it's the movie star, the Hollywood, Romance. like Hollywood mm -hmm. instant chemistry, that thing. And that's supposed to just last forever without you trying or putting in effort. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or, or there's like the kinky, you're kind of a dirty slut, sex girl, kind of things that are projected. And I definitely tried on both. What I've come to is my ground, my middle space and my middle ground, which is, you know, getting to communicate my desires very clearly. I feel like I trust you so much more mm -hmm. as a coach now because you're willing to share the messiness of your life and say, hey, I'm not perfect yeah. and I want to teach you. You know, I'm so blessed and thank you for that reflection. My coaches and mentors are so powerful and I know so many things about them, like, like these, you know, dark, dark stories, whatever that even means. And they don't sugarcoat their lives. They don't say, you know, everything's perfect for me. They're sharing their journey too. That's something I think that's really cool about how we're evolving culturally. Right now, where we are, there's less of this emphasis on posturing. Yeah. And, and I mean, it still exists, but people care more about like, are you for real? Yeah. Are you for real? And how the fuck are you going to guide someone if you don't have any life experience going through the shit yourself. We want to know what's what's coming up and what your offerings are and you know if if people are interested in learning more how they can get in touch with you or receive more of your gems. Oh yeah. Thank you for asking that. So if people want to work with me, I'm actually launching a group program January 5th and it's a 10-week mastermind where we're going to be going over all kinds of stuff from understanding your erotic blueprint mm. to your emotional blueprint to your money blueprint and getting in alignment with your higher vision of yourself and what you're here to do and doing it with a tribe of dope ass like-minded people who are going to lift you up and accept and love all parts of you, right? Beautiful. So it's, it's my conscious codes mastermind. Again, that starts January. Otherwise, if people want to explore coaching with me, they can reach out to me. My preference is to work with people in three to six month containers because that's where the most stuff can transform. Is there anything that you wish that you would have had a, us ask or anything, any lingering things that feel like they want to be shared in this space? I'd like to share that if you can imagine it, you can create it and be so open 
to what you want coming to you in a way that is unrecognizable to your original desire. Be open to things showing up so far off from what you thought (laughs) so that you don't limit what that can be or look like. Because so often, you know, people get stuck. You get stuck in like, this is what that is going to look like. And until that arrives, I'm not going to be happy or satisfied. Just constantly being curious and open. Amaya, your framework on integrity and communication around sexuality is powerful. Thank you for our dialogue and thank you for giving us a glimpse into your mind. This episode is hosted and produced by Mansi Parikh and Grace Ortman and music by David Schaefer. <laughs>